You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to another episode of Crime of the Mitten. We're your hosts, Shelby and Alia. What better way to gush about crimes without raising eyebrows than to start a podcast on crimes committed in our home state, Michigan? From mysterious missing cases to gruesome murders that left police struggling to stay on the scene, we're giving you the complete insight on what's going on in our mitten state. If you need to satisfy your hunger for true crime cases as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for your weekly dose of mitten crimes. Because this episode is about the killings and sexual assault of young children, this may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. From January 1976 to March 1977, seven child murders took place in the metro Detroit area. Three of the murders were solved. The other six to this day are still open. Two boys and two girls, all of the eight, all under the age of 13, were confirmed victims of the Oakland County, Oakland County child killer. All four were picked up outside of their homes while walking alone around a holiday. The children were held captive for days before their killer or killers released their dead bodies somewhere out in the open to be found moments later. Solving this case was a little tricky because at the time, first responders rarely wore gloves. There were so many fingerprints, so not much evidence came from them. Wait, they didn't wear gloves? No. (laughs) They would just show up and start working on the kid. Oh, okay. Cool. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. That 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 messed up a lot. <laughs> yeah, a whole lot. This ended children walking anywhere alone and started the Helping Hands program. Families being afraid for children walking alone or being alone. Period. Put a picture of an outstretched hand in their windows, hoping to attract children who did not feel safe and needed a safe home to stop at. The children, the child was able to knock on the door and be let in by a good Samaritan looking for looking out for their safety. That's a really good like yeah little but program. Like, nerve wrecking because like, are they really trying to save me? Yeah, because that's what I was going to say too. Because it also can be someone saying like, um, like they can put up a sign and don't have care, not don't, good intentions yeah. at all. <clears throat> so the first confirmed victim was Mark Stebbins. He was a 12-year-old boy living in Ferndale, where I spent a lot of my time as a child in Ferndale because that's where my best friend lived. Mm-hmm. It was like the only place I was allowed to spend a night other than with family. <laughs> but we had fun like playing with dolls and Barbies, and we thought we were grown because her mom let us scramble our own eggs. So that was pretty <laughs> cool. We were like six. Oh, yeah. Six, that's advanced right there. I don't yeah. think I was scrambling eggs till seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> Tim was living in Ferndale with his mother, Ruth, and his 15-year-old brother, Mike. His parents separated in 1969. Ruth took care of her boys with little help from her fa- from their father, who lived in Houston, Texas. Mark was last seen at the American Legion Hall on Nine Mile on Sunday, February 15, 1967, for his mother's work party on a warm winter day. He left walking home. Walking home, which was about a mile long walk from the Legion Hall around noon on his own. That was the last time his mother saw him alive. Warm winter days in Michigan are rare, especially yeah. when it's 50 degrees. I was going to say, when you said a warm winter, yeah. <laughs> like that's the thing. Warm winter day in, Jan- or in February, is, that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, that's really rare. So I guess I can see why he would, you know, take the opportunity to go to for just go a walk. walk. Yeah. I know my brother has done that before when we've gotten like nice weather and he's been out in like basketball shorts and yeah, no, I'm not walking at all, so that's like not a me. jacket. And I was like, Are you pushing it too far? The snow didn't even melt yet. <laughs> I'm not walking nowhere. I don't care what it feels yeah, like no. outside. <laughs> you don't trust it. We go through too many fake seasons. Yeah, no. So since it was warm outside, he only had on a pair of jeans, a light jacket, and a pair of rubber rubber boots. He was a small boy standing under five feet with reddish blonde hair and blue eyes. Around 7 that evening, his mother called from a payphone to check on him, but didn't get an answer. But she just figured he was wrapped up. He went home to watch a movie. Right. So she figured he was just, like, wrapped up in his movie or Mm -hmm. out riding his bike or something. So when she got home around 9 and discovered he wasn't there, she called his friends and the neighbors, and no one knew where he was. His brother didn't know where he was or anything. Wow. 
So she called the police around 10, but they told her, like, oh, no, he'll be home soon. There hasn't been a kidnapping in Ferndale in 10 years. He'll right. come home. I mean, <laughs> But even then, though, like, why are you guys so confident that, like, right. yeah, this doesn't happen here? It doesn't happen here. He'll, he'll find his way That's home That's the later. beginning of so many, right. <laughs> so many cases. The, they, they'll be back or you have to wait 24 hours and, like, yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't like that. And it makes no sense at no. all. Like, especially when it's, um, you got a minor. Yeah. Cause like, what are they out, what are they, 12 years old, what is he out what doing? Is, what is he doing? He, he can't possibly be hitting a town. <laughs> <laughs> the search for Mark, Mark took place the following morning after Ruth went to the police station and told them Mark still hadn't returned and his disappearance needed to be be taken seriously. His body was found days later on Thursday, February 19th, curled up like he was sleeping in a dumpster outside of an office building in Southfield on 10 Mile and Greenfield. Wow. Yeah. He was found on the Southfield side at 15660 West 10 Mile Road. On the opposite side of Greenfield is where I go to get my nails done. Yeah. No, I was and saying, like, I worked at that Starbucks over there, so it's like weird to know that that's where he was found. That's yeah, only no, that's 10 close minutes to from home. my house. Yeah. That's really close it's to home. It's 10 minutes from my house and like even closer from where I'm working now, so it's like, wow, it was right there. Yeah, no, that's really creepy. That's like finding <clears throat> out something tragic happened on your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The man that discovered Mark's lifeless body. Mark Bodegeimer was headed to the drugstore at the New Orleans Mall across the street from his office building. If you've ever driven down Greenfield, I'm sure you've seen the um, the New Orleans Mall. It's a long tan building, like a strip mall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah with I the um, They got the green awning, like mm-hmm. the teal awning. Yeah, it's crazy. I never knew orange, that that was the name of it. <laughs> with, the, with the orange roof. Okay. Yeah. I never knew. Yeah. Bodegheimer got closer got closer for a look to see that Mark Stebbins was not sleeping but dead. He went inside to call the police and he and his coworkers returned to look at look after the body waiting mm. for the police. That was really nice of them. Yeah, just to stand there and yeah. wait. Tim was covered with a blanket, but it was never said if he was covered by the killer or somewhere from the office. Right. So, I mean, of course, that can t- cause issues in the investigation because it could be anybody's blanket. Yeah, and if he was covered, for, um, if he was covered, that shows like kind of like a sympathy kind of thing on a killer's end. But yeah. also it could just but be. that's also why he was called the babysitter killer because oh, he took yeah. care of the kids while he had them. But, wow. Yeah. That's sick. Extremely. <clears throat> a man, Mark Gallup, was out walking his dog at 9.30 a.m. and had not seen Mark's body. He said if the body was there at the time, his dog would have sniffed him out, which right. makes sense. And Mark, then, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you just, you, you would notice you that. Notice yeah. sleeping by you would, a trash can. You would notice that. Mark Stebbins was abducted abducted in Ferndale and dropped off in Southfield, which caused a bit of problems in the investigation. He was taken to the Southfield police station rather than the Oakland County coroner's office. That caused contamination contamination issues because so many people, like I said, they didn't wear gloves. Yeah. So many people were touching his body, his clothes, right. passing hair follicles. It's crazy how, like, like different it, fibers all around. With these old cases, you keep hearing about so much contamination. Like, yeah. Really needed to get their stuff together. Because it's sad because it's like, you know, you lose out so much, like, so much, so much information so much evidence by something you could simply put gloves on. Yeah. Um, when the area that he was found in was investigated by the Michigan State Police, not much came from it because it was so many people around. And right. It's, it was snow. Anything could have right. just melted away and disappeared. <clears throat> he... Uh, his autopsy took place the following Friday by Dr. Thomas Batanga. He was said to have died from ex- asphyxia caused by smothering. There were two small blood-crusted lacerations on his scalp on the left rear side of his head, possibly caused by a shotgun. Wow. Yeah. There was evidence that had been that he had been tied up at his nest, neck, wrist, and ankles. Mark's funeral took place Monday, February 23rd, 1976, at the St. James Catholic Church in Ferndale. Ruth cannot afford to pay for Mark's funeral, but it was fully funded. 
I like how the community come together, yeah. like things like that, though, because even to this day, you still see situations like that where, like, you know, People families are struggling. Out. Yeah, and you got funeral homes that'll like be like, okay, we'll cover the expenses mm-hmm. for this, so you don't have to really stress about that. That's really yeah. nice. There was a great turnout. Everyone came to sh- came to sh- had come to show their respects after Mark's funeral and the place of where his body had been found by Mark Mark Baldergeimer, There was a prayer card from his funeral. So the killer could have been the killer or the killers could have been at the funeral. Wow. Like Ruth Stebbins could have spoken to or even yeah. hugged or shaken the hand of the of her son's killer basically and didn't even know it. Wow. And I'm pretty sure that like had to mess with her head yeah. afterwards. Either that or like someone just put it there to show their respects but it just didn't go over well cuz yeah. that's kind of weird. No, it's it's creepy and it's like timing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, no, no evidence or anything else came from Mark's case, and it was just like a cold case for the next ten months until the next child killing happened. Mm-hmm. And the next kid, were, the next child was Jill Robinson. She was a twelve-year-old girl from Royal Oak. Jill and and her two younger sisters went back and yeah two younger sisters went back and forth between their mother Carol and their father's Tom's homes after their parents divorce in 1974 in September of 1976 her mother moved to Detroit moved from Detroit to Royal Oak for mm-hmm. safer living <laughs> i hear that so often yeah. <laughs> and her father lived in Berkeley rather than the usual you know one parent get the kid during the week the next the other parent get them over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Their Jill's parents split up the week, so their dad okay. would pick them up on Thursdays. Okay, I know some arrangements like yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's okay, but like even then, I kind of would because you're weekend. yeah prefer the weekends because you're still in the middle of school and stuff. But hey, to each its own. Um, the new Royal Oak home was only two and a half miles from where. Uh, Mark Stebbins and his family live. Mm-hmm. So the move caused, at the time she was only 11, and it caused her to have anxiety and nightmares, and she would dream every night about her own death. Wow. Like, she would dream that she was shot to death every night. So, Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, she would wake up and panic, having panic attacks and stuff. So um, her parents always had to come for her to mm-hmm. get her back to sleep every single night after every single dream. <clears throat> The family got her a counselor in hopes that it would end the nightmares. After a few sessions and getting used to the new home, Jill's dreams became less frequent and less intense. Jill celebrated her twelfth her birthday on December twelfth and had a sleepover with all of her friends. Jill's dad was an English professor at the Oakland County Community College. Mm-hmm. So on Wednesday, December twenty second, was his scheduled pickup day, but because he was busy with work, he couldn't get them until Thursday. Right. So this was the night everything happened. That Wednesday night, Jill, she was a 12-year-old girl, probably upset that she wanted to go to her dad's house. Mm-hmm. And, of course. Right. She had <laughs> I gotta to wait be, a whole other day. <laughs> she had to wait and be with her mom for another night. She um probably not want to follow her mom's rules at the time. It was like, I'm yeah. not even supposed to be here in the first place. Right. And then at the same time, everybody knows that when you go over to your dad's house, it's a lot better. Like that's, <laughs> <Less rules. laughs> that's the fun house. So you're kind, of, you're kind of putting a kink in my plans right now. <laughs> so she, um, Carol told Jill to uh, set the table when she didn't mm-hmm. want to. So it kind of started an argument between the two. And Carol told her to get out. But like, I can't imagine somebody telling their child to get out over setting the table so maybe she yeah. meant like get out my face go to your room yeah and then at the same time too if you're both like you know you never know like it could have been yeah, a long day at work and yeah you can be irritated and she's like get out my face or like get out actually and actually got yeah. out yeah wow oh yeah, she no, actually left she went to her room and packed oh and left so she left the house about 5 p.m on her bike it was only december and only like 30 degrees outside she packed Mm -hmm. some books some blankets and some clothes and left okay yeah (laughs) so i would have packed food i'm not even gonna hold you up (laughs) she was a quiet bookworm she just wanted her books you know what i appreciate that too (laughs) right she was just like a little quiet kid she's like i just 
I, I need to get away. <laughs> I respect that. This was the last time Jill was sent, seen alive by her mother and her sisters. When Carol went to Jill's room to check on her a couple hours later, she discovered she wasn't there. She waited around thinking and hoping she would return home. Right. She called her dad. She wasn't there. So after a couple hour, couple more hours, they called the police. You would think, you know, they would take this stuff seriously because right. it just happened a few blocks away. Yeah. It's kind of the same setup, too. Whereas Even in- though it was... Almost a year ago, you would still think they would take it seriously right, right away. But they were like, oh, no, she's just mad because she had to set the table. She was mad about the argument. She'll, right. she'll come back home. Yeah, but even then, though, it's still like you got to kind of, why are all these 12-year-olds just running the town? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the second 12-year-old that is just taking right. a night out. But, um... For the first 24 hours of Jill's disappearance, the police didn't look for her. It was Her parents did it all. So the only sighting of Jill was by a family friend that night on her bike. She was riding down Woodward Avenue and 14 Mile near the Tiny Tim Hobby Center, headed in the direction of her father's house. And that was around 7 p.m. Oh, so she was just like, I'm just going to go over my dad's I'm house just anyway. Going anyway. <laughs> he might not be home, but... Oh, <laughs> I got my blanket. I'm going to sit on the porch. Right. And wait for I, I can home. wait. The family was extremely upset with the law for, like, not taking it seriously. Right, and, and as they should be because right. that's your job. So, Kara Robinson's birthday was on Christmas Eve, and although she wasn't in the mood to celebrate, she still had two younger kids to right. be happy for. So, she celebrated her birthday, and the next day was Christmas morning, which Joe still wasn't home. So, you can imagine this mom isn't having a great Christmas. Oh, yeah, of course not. It's like, especially when I know that mom probably went out and bought presents and stuff. Right. So, she, it's so like. She watched the younger two girls open all their presents. Yeah. And Jill's presents are just still sitting under the tree. Right. It's like a, it could be like an empty feeling in yeah. a house, though. And that's really, wow, that's really bad timing. Of Like, you don't want stuff like this to ever happen. But, like, especially the holidays are already because hard all for of people. them happen around the holiday. Yeah. So, even um, with Mark, it was balance, around Valentine's Day. Right. And now with, Car- with Jill, hmm. it's Christmas. Right. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, um, early the next morning, someone driving north on 75 and Troy spotted something on the side of the road. He reported his findings over the CB radio and the Troy police, a Troy police officer showed up to the scene and discovered Jill Robinson. Jill was laying face up in the snow, fully dressed with her bag still on her back. She had been shot at close range with a shotgun in the face. Wow. And it was so bad, they couldn't even recognize her. But because the missing persons report was out, they recognized her by her outfit. Right. Not at wow. all by her face because the gunshot was so bad. That's a really yeah. overkill way of like handling things. Like, And then right. why are you using this on 12-year-olds? And she was the only only um, kid that was shot by the killer. So oh. did she have a nightmare while she was with him and explain? Yeah, and it like, could have been an inconvenience I'm, or something. And he got frustrated because if her parents had to come for her every okay. night, then most likely she was looking for her parents to come for her that night. And she's crying and upset. But she was shot there. At the scene? At the scene. The blood and every, the blood splatter and everything was there. So, like, that was a pretty brave move. Like, you gonna, you shot her. And you risk right there. You risk it being heard. Yeah, it's kind of cocky. on the side of a busy road. It's really cocky if you think about it, though, because but no one heard the gunshot. So yeah, he apparently knew what he was doing, or maybe he did smother her, right, and kill her the same way that he killed the others. But he just wanted to live out her nightmares, I guess. Yeah, and that's really that's really sick. That is, especially with yeah. that's something she struggled with prior to. Yeah. Jill Robinson had gone missing from Royal Oak and later found in Troy. Lieutenant Earl Ringer of Royal Oak and Sergeant George Reed of Troy and their teams worked well together to try to solve Jill's kidnapping and murder mystery. Jill's autopsy was performed by Dr. Robert F. Sillery, chief pathologist of the Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office. Mm -hmm. It stated that she died from shock and hemorrhage from a shotgun wound to the head, and there were no signs of sexual molestation. The police know what kind of gun it was, what kind of gun it was, and what size, because it was, you can 
buy you could buy bought that gun from any sports store or hardware store wow, in the area. Just easy access. Just yeah, easy access. She had been the only child shot by the Oakland County child killer. And like I said, maybe he she told him about the nightmares. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe she was just like confiding in him one day because he was the babysitter killer. He made them feel comfortable. Right. Yeah. And then I mean, if he had her for multiple nights, you would think that she was she, still she having these nightmares. nightmares. Yeah, she was still having these nightmares. So he's probably comf- he, he probably was comforting her and saying like, "Oh yeah, well tell me about what's going on." And then once he found out that that was what, what she's was having dreams on. about. And he went through with it. Yeah. But like I said, he was the babysitter killer. He took care of her during captivity. All the kids were fed. And you could tell by her clothes that she wasn't outside the whole time. Right. Her clothes were still put together and all of that. So she she was taken care of while she was with him. Mm-hmm. And her bike was found by a neighborhood boy on the afternoon of December 27th. On North Main Street in Royal Oak behind some office buildings. In the opposite direction of where she was seen, though. Right. So so they dumped the bike. Did Probably. That's the thing. So the, not only did it get dumped somewhere by the killer, more than likely, those fingerprints were erased because mm, ki- neighborhood course. kids found a bike and of course yeah. they, and then, they took quick they took turns riding on the Yeah, bike. I was gonna say then you know that's like great opportunity. You got the one friend who don't got the bike and you're like, hey I got you a bike. I got you a bike. Yeah, so now he get to ride out. <laughs> but they actually um the kids actually admitted like, yeah, we took turns. <laughs> We've been riding this bike since <laughs> we found it. But um At least they were honest. They were honest. Yeah. And then in this part in this in this matter, you like, you know, they're kids, so it's the adults who kick Sam at a uh, crime scene that really gets to me. Yeah, yeah. You know better. You know better. <laughs> Jill Robinson's family held a small, intimate funeral for the 12-year-old girl at First Presbyterian Church of Royal Oak. Jill's remains were cremated soon after the funeral. The next victim, Christine Murlock, was a 10-year-old girl who lived in Berkeley. Kristen, Christine was a small girl, and she was under four. She was under four feet tall and only about eighty pounds, with shoulder length brown hair and big blue eyes. Oh, she sounded so like delicate. Yeah, just little and like yeah, small, little and cute. small and petite. I like that. <laughs> she lived with her mother Deborah and her her two younger brothers, six and eight, and her four year old younger sister. Deborah made it known that her and Kristen had a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Like they were, she even though she had remarried, she got along with her um with her mom's. Then by then it was her ex husband. Right. She like t- helped take care of the kids, even though there weren't like her full siblings. She mm-hmm. still cared and helped right. take care of the kids. Um, on January second, nineteen seventy seven. She begged her mother to let her walk to the Seven Eleven, mm-hmm. and the Seven Eleven that she wanted to walk to was just two and a half miles from the last killing, from where, where, where oh, okay. from where Jill was um Jill was found. Wow. Yeah, but not thinking, her mother's like not even thinking about the murders. Her mom's hesitation was, "Do I want you to cross twelve miles?" Like. That's the big thing. <laughs> her mom was like, Which I'm I kind of sure. don't blame her. <laughs> but yeah, still. Because you don't think you just think about, like, you don't think something like that is going to happen to your child. Yeah, and I was thinking, because especially how the police are taking this, obviously, where they're like, yeah, these things don't really happen here. So, you know, I'm pretty sure the community is feeling the same way. This stuff doesn't yeah. happen here. I just don't want you to cross 12 miles. <laughs> I just don't want you to cross 12 miles. But she, after begging and all that, she finally let her go. And, um,. She finally let her go, just explain to her, like, please cross at the light. Don't mm-hmm. cro- don't try to cross in the middle. Cross at the cross Right, giving her the light. whole run down. Yeah. <laughs> and told her to hurry up. So Kristen made it to the store safely. She bought her candy, her pop, and the magazine that she had gone for, but she didn't return home. After a couple hours, her mother retraced Kristen's steps to the store. She talked to the cashier. The cashier confirmed that she had been there. She purchased mm-hmm. her stuff. And she left going in the direction of home hours ago, a couple hours ago. Right. So she should have definitely been home by now. 
Deborah went home and made a police report, unlike the unlike the police did for both Mark and Jill. The Berkeley police like instantly got on the search for the ten year old. Right, as they should. Yeah. And they took it extremely serious. So every house, every business, like everything that was open that Sunday evening at that time, Mm -hmm. they went door to door asking everybody had they seen her. They figured she, she they figured she was abducted on her way home and they just figured the same person that took Jill had taken her too. But it had passed the couple days that the killer holds them hostage. So mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out, like, okay, so it's been a couple days and they still haven't found her, still right. haven't found her body. They don't have a body. Why are they, why are they holding her so long? And right. They held her for 19 days. Wow, before fi- like before finding anything? They, the, before they released her at all, before they released her body at all, the killer had held her for 19 days. And that's is that the longest... That yep. like was she the one that was held the longest? She was the one that was held the longest. I wonder what like made her like her mom says she was just a pleasant, sweet girl. Maybe they just liked her company. Yeah, that's true, but gosh, that's sick. She's that's twelve. Sick. She, like, well, she was ten, ten, I mean. She was only ten. Yeah. She's the youngest. Well, yeah, the youngest, right? Out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's that that's sick. <clears throat> Around 11.45 a.m., while Postal Service mailman Jerome Wozni was delivering mail on a dead-end street, Bruce Lane, west of Telegraph and Franklin Village, he spotted something in the snowfield ditch on the side of the road. So he stopped his mail truck, backed up, and got out and realized he found a body. Wow. So she was, like, poorly covered by the snow, like he attempted to cover her but not really her hand was still sticking out you could still see the top of her head so he did it but he covered the rest it was like a rest job the rest of them but not really covered him you kind of would think that she'd be like i don't know i would just i I kind of imagined that she'd be like he would have laid her like in a lot better condition because he kept her so long so you would think that she like i don't know not saying he would have a connection with her but like you just Just threw her in the snow tossed her in the snow and tried to cover up a little bit um, so he, once he realized what he found, he went back to his truck and immediately went to the Franklin Village Police Department to report what he had seen. Kristen had been found in her clothes that she had on on January 2nd. The only difference was her mother said that the white top she had on, she would always tie it up in the back. But when they mm-hmm. found her, it was tied in the front. And then her pants were tucked in in her boots her mom said she never tucked her pants in. right so it's like he probably got her dressed yeah some he got her dressed before he dumped her wow her clothes were clean even though so you, her clothes were clean so you could tell she was not outside for mm-hmm. 19 whole days right he took care of her her body was almost frozen through and had been exposed to the snow for less than 24 hours so mm-hmm. honestly more he was she was outside longer than the rest of them so maybe he knew what he mm-hmm. was doing when he covered her up. Maybe he didn't want her to be found right away. Right. Maybe he wanted to go back and revisit. Like he had her for 19 days. It's no telling what his intentions, what his intentions were, were. Or like, I don't know. Because at this point, like you don't. It's not like you really you're catching a pattern or anything. We don't really know what he's doing. I just they got an idea of how long he's keeping the kids, but you don't know what he's really got going on. Yeah, it's just it's weird. Just like Jill, Dr. Sillery had also performed the autopsy on Kristen. But he was later fired because the stuff he was doing, like, he wasn't filling out the reports, right? Or he was just making up his own thing, basically. Oh, wow. So even though we had already learned that she was almost frozen through, he... um. He said that she wasn't. So I found the like an autopsy report online, mm-hmm. and it said that the cause of death was asphyxia by smothering, just like the first, the first one, yeah, like Mark, yeah. And the body, he said, the body was not almost frozen through, and had, and like everyone else said, had been exposed to the snow for less than twenty four hours, right? In all probability, there was no gross evidence of sexual molestation. And either vagina or anus. Yet, Doctor Sillery told us a, a startled group of state crime lab technicians that he had found sperm in both, but couldn't 
like account for how he got there. <laughs> what? So he was saying he found like he found sperm in her, but there was no like penetration or no, anything. Nothing. Okay. Right. Why did they ever look into this guy of like why is he? He actually got fired. Yeah, but I'm saying as in like police wise, why 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 are you why falsifying just, things I do like want that? To tries to do a case on him just to see like what was going through his head because I mean he and then stuff like because like they say she wasn't the only one he did it for. Yeah, and I was gonna say like if that's I'm pretty sure he didn't one. just start this like yes he was doing this for ten years so I'm pretty oh, sure that yeah. wasn't his first one. Mm-hmm. But he had unique theories of forceful forcefulness of ejaculation which also makes no sense yeah the fact that another pathologist and two state police laboratory technicians were subsequently unable to detect sperm in the tissue slides that he prepared Mm -hmm. so he prepared the slides but there was nothing there right why would you why are you going through the the works of it like you know the motions of it like it is something there and then it's like, what are you getting off from this? Like, I'm I'm really stuck on, like, what did he got? Like, did, did he get he, something from yeah. this? Like, was someone paying him off? Like, I don't know. Possibly. Like, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like, what if he was part of it? Yeah, like, you don't know. Because it's, it's just really weird. Why? Why? <laughs> why make something up like that? But they discovered that Chris, uh, Christine, just like Jill, hadn't been violated. So he didn't right. touch the girls. Mm-hmm. It was just the boys that that mm-hmm. he was molesting. They ended up collecting her underwear because they found a black fiber, her nail scrapings, and two hairs that were found inside of her mouth, and the hair and fibers off of her clothes. Mm-hmm. So they collected all this evidence from Kristen, but then, like, nothing came from the evidence. They didn't right. find anything. They from weren't it. even able to use anything from nope. it. Nope. <clears throat> the fourth and final confirmed victim of the Oakland County child killer was Timothy King. He was an 11-year-old who lived in Birmingham with his father, Barry, mother, Marion, and two older brothers and one older sister. So a lot of people, even my mom, when I told her that I was doing this case, Mm -hmm. she was like, oh, it wasn't one of the kids named Timmy. He was like, I don't want to say the poster child, but pretty much. Like this is the one that brought away. He was talked about. Because even I I was going to say his name sounds really familiar, like even prior to you even saying you were going to do this episode, like do this case. um, That sounds pretty familiar. He um, he brought forth a lot of evidence because someone actually saw him talking to someone. Wow. Yeah. So he was the only one that kind of brought forth evidence. So he was the most talked about Mm -hmm, because it's like, oh, no, we actually know like that. Yeah. He was taken, like, well, although you know the other ones they were, but it was just him like taken, but they saw yeah. him talking to a man. Okay, yeah. So Tim was to be left alone that night because his everybody in his house has something to do. So his parents were going out dining with the with his, one of his dad's client from the law firm, and they trusted him home alone because they weren't going to be out that late, and they didn't. Um, they weren't going to be that far. Right. So everyone had plans in the house. So about 730 that night, he brought 30 cents from his sister right before she was about to leave out and told her to leave the front door unlocked for him. He was he was going to go off on his skateboard to go get some candy from the store. Oh, candy for 30 cents? Turn up. They got candy <laughs> and a pack of gum for 30 cents. <laughs> Must be nice. Right. <laughs> you can't even go in the store at 30 cents now. <laughs> So the drugstore was a few blocks away from the home on Maple Road. At about 8.30, he left from the store at the rear entrance that opened to a parking lot that sh- that it shared with the supermarket. Mm-hmm. He was planning to ride around on his skateboard in the parking lot. While he was in the parking lot of the drugstore, two witnesses saw him get approached by a man with long, shaggy, dark hair and sideburns. The man was standing near what the witness said was a blue gremlin with a white racing stripe on the side. No one mm-hmm. had seen Tim get into the car. Nobody saw Tim being taken. All they saw was the man next to the blue gremlin. Right, and he's just talking to him. Yeah, just you know, a little kid talking to a grown man. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, because then that's in itself is a little... little sketch. But a man also saw him talk, or another witness saw him talking 
to a man and he just thought like, oh, it's this father-son conversation. Yeah, so that may well, have been what that. the other people were thinking, why they didn't think to report anything Yeah, right nowadays away. I just, everything is suspect to me. So I'm just yeah. like, I don't know. Is this really Especially your kid? Especially reading this stuff all the time. Yeah, and then I'm like, even... You can see somebody holding a kid's hand. And you're like, is that really your kid? Like, you just gotta, you never know. You gotta be cautious. <laughs> but that was the last time Tim was seen alive, talking to this man standing next to the blue gremlin. Mm-hmm. When his parents returned home at nine, there was only one kid at home, one child at home. And Tim should have been there too. Like, he was supposed yeah. to be home alone. Of course. But his brother came in early, so he was at home. And, Tim should have been had should have been home an hour ago, and with him being a responsible kid, they didn't think he would just be out hanging around on a mm-hmm. school night, especially if he's on his own. Like he's not just gonna go to the yeah, store and then especially not and be out without. All night. If he's a responsible kid, I would see even if he was not hanging out. Permission. Yeah, and then he would tell somebody. Somebody. Yeah. His sister was there, so he should have. He would have told. Yeah. They thought he would have told her. And then I mean, because if you think about it, he did tell her like I'm going. I'm going store, to the store. But yeah. That was it. So, no, that, yeah, that definitely see where they yeah. were, like, ringing alarms. So it was not yet confirmed that he was taken by the child killer, but Oakland County police started searching right away. Like, mm-hmm. they wasted no time. So because they had the the witness tell them about the Blue Gremlin, they created a legal document for drivers to show drivers to request to look at their cars. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, can we search your car? And they were like right. showed everybody this legal document. <laughs> like we can, we'll search your car looking for this kid. Right. If you have drugs, weapons, anything, you won't be held accountable. We're okay, we're just simply strictly looking. looking for this kid. Okay, because I'm like, you can see where a lot of people would be like kind of spooked. Like Great. you didn't give no but warning. In the legal what, document I didn't do anything. Said you're not getting in trouble for drugs or weapons. It's good that they took that route though, and they they made it really like it was that was right really. There. Deep, like deep to go to, like to right. searching people's cars like that. Like yeah. They were just that desperate to get this, get to him. Yeah, back and then home. especially because, like, this is like, this seems like to be the first one where as soon as it's reported, immediate action is taken. Immediate so it's action. like, yeah, get as many things going and like on the ground running as you can. Yeah. So everyone complied, but they didn't find, look, searching in all these cars, they didn't find Tim or his kidnapper. Mm hmm. Barry King went on TV. Barry King was his dad. Went mm-hmm. on TV talking to Tim, letting him know he was loved, he was being looked for, right. and begging the the abductor to bring him back home unharmed. Mary and his mother wrote and let wrote a letter to the killer on the front page of the Detroit News, asking the abductor to send him back home so she could serve him his favorite meal, which mm-hmm. was Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> On March 22nd at 11.15 p.m., Livonia Police... On March 22nd at 11.15, Livonia, Michigan Police Department sent a car in response to a call from a witness who had discovered a body laying in a ditch on the west side of Grill Street which was about 30, 30, uh, 300 feet from 8 Mile Road. Mm-hmm. Tim King had been found, and near his body was his orange skateboard. Tim's body Tim's body was still warm, so first responders tried to revive him, but right. it was too late. Dr. Warner Spitz prepared, the, prepared Tim's autopsy and listed smothering as his cause of death, mm-hmm. like the others. Tim had been dead for six to, eight, six to eight hours and had been placed along Gill, Gill Road about three hours before he was found. Wow. The autopsy report showed that he had eaten a meal of fowl before his death, about an hour before his death. So they were assuming, like, he went ahead and fed him the KFC before he killed wow, him. Wow, that's crazy. So he was watching the yeah, news. Yeah, he was watching. Yeah. Which, I mean, it doesn't surprise me because, Either you know, you kind of— he was watching or— he made the kids feel comfortable. Maybe Tim just told them. Yeah, that's true too. But he probably was wa- definitely was watching. watching. Yeah, because you want to see the results of what you did. Yeah, his wrist had showed had showed signs of bond, bond, binding, and his body was very clean and had been taken care of during captivity. He had been sexually assaulted 
And there were, like, obvious signs of abuse. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Were there signs of abuse with the um, other kids? Like, like, not sexual abuse, but, like... There was no real abuse, just, like, the fact that they were tied up. Yeah. Maybe he was going to work and tied them down mm-hmm. or whatever just to the keep case may have been. But no real abuse, just the boys were sexually abused. Oh, wow. Yeah. Besides the four confirmed victims of the Oakland County child killer... There were a few other abducted at the same time, but not by the Oakland County child killer. One of them was Dr. Donna Sarah, was a 16-year-old girl from Ray Township in Macomb County. Mm-hmm. She was about 5'3 and 110 pounds. She, and they, I have a picture of her, I believe. Mm-hmm. You can look, that's on the next page. Oh, nope, I didn't put it on there. It's at home. <laughs> That's okay. But um, she resembled Jill Robinson. Mm-hmm. Donna left school at about 1 o'clock p.m. on Friday, September 29th, 1972. So this was a few years before all the others happened. Mm-hmm. She went to South Lake High School. Okay. It was said that she was leaving school early and decided to catch a ride to the beach. And hitchhiking in the 70s were common, especially for teens trying to get around. Right. Especially skipping school and not, like, <laughs> hey, Dad, can you pick me up from school early and take me to the beach? Right. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. I mean, is it a thing now? Well, yeah, it is a thing now because, I mean, we've caught a couple of family members to get us out of class <laughs> back in our day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that day, she must have been picked up by the wrong person, someone who wasn't so nice. And mm-hmm. she basically just disappeared without a trace. She was held captive for several days, and her body didn't appear to October 20th, 1972, alongside, alongside of the road in Ray Township. Police were extremely confused, and the crime went unsolved. Mm-hmm. The police just came up with a random theory that her kidnapper went to the, went to the military after he killed her. They just conclu- they just came to that conclusion on their own. Yep, they couldn't find him, so he enlisted in the military and he's gone forever. Oh yeah, like write him off as serving a country. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a few years after Donna's murder, on Thursday, January fifteenth, nineteen seventy six, in Roseville, Cynthia Caju, a sixteen year old girl, did not return home from her friend's house. Her parents just assumed that she was spending the night, but mm-hmm. that's not what happened. I do have a picture of Cynthia. At the yeah, bottom. I see hers. It, it seems like they're all. Um, I don't know if it's because it's a black white picture, but they're all brunettes. Yeah, for the most part. Well, except for like the first one, um, Mark Step. Like, Mark. yeah. So I can kind of see where even like with the older ones, they were kind of like piecing. Like, okay, they can possibly be. And, you know, a part of, you know, that killer, too, because they kind of all look alike. Yeah, like you said, Donna looked like Jill. Yeah. They just assumed that she spent the night at her friend's house, but she didn't. Cynthia's friend said she left home or she left from her house the same day going home, but she never made it home. Her parents filed a missing persons report the next morning. That she didn't return home from what they thought was a sleepover. Mm-hmm. Very, very early the next day, she was found in the snow, rape, oh, rape, sodomized, and had been beaten to death. Her naked body was laid out on the ro- road mm-hmm. in Franklin in Oakland County. After hearing about the young girl's body being found on the side of the road, her parents called to say, they heard it on the news, and her parents just called in to say, like, oh, um. Uh, Think that's my kid and wow it out and that's be, crazy like that's how you got you, you find, find out. out yeah through the news yeah I've, it's been times i've gotten some really messed up news and like just scrolling through social media and you're like wow i really wish someone would have like that happened and i they didn't even tell me wow yeah that's no that's really crazy because um you yeah you never want to find out things like that through just like through the grapevines as they say but I, but that at the time i'm pretty sure that was like their only way of finding out just seeing a report on the news she probably didn't have identification yeah to for them to get to the parents right away right her corpse had been dragged over the snow-covered pavement and her clothes were placed a few feet from her body on may 4th 1979 a man named bobby 
Anglin was eventually convicted of Cynthia Kaju's murder and is now serving a life sentence in the Muskegon Correctional Facility. Good. I'm glad that justice was served for her. For her, yeah. Yeah. On Tuesday, January 20th, 1976, five days after the murder of Cynthia, Sheila Schrock was babysitting in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. An intruder broke into the house while she was, while they were just on a crime spree in a neighborhood just breaking into houses. Wow. And they broke into the house that she was in, and the man raped, sodomized, and shot her to death. Wow. And while all this was going on in the house, police were going door to door looking for this man. Wow. So when he finished what he was doing, he snuck out the house while nobody was looking and probably just joined the crowd of everybody else That's outside searching. concerned and searching. Yeah, and it's he so just crazy. out and joined the crowd. Wow, and that, that that's really crazy. Yep. Because it's like, you know, in situations like that, it kind of irritates me. Because you're, like, so close to, like, the killer. And it's like, like, you know, you, you know, like, nobody's like, you know, they know this stuff. Or, like, you know, like, you don't know, like, okay, I can be next to a yeah. killer right now. But then it's like, that would really bother me. It's like, wow, this guy was out here probably but searching while we were. Catch him. Okay. He, he confessed to it. Even though they thought she was, um, it was the Oakland County child killer. Right. He eventually confessed. It was right along the same time, just a couple of days after um, mm-hmm. Mark. Okay. But somebody did confess. Oliver Rhodes Andrews was convicted and confessed to the murder. Jane Allen was a 14-year-old girl who lived in Royal Oak with her parents and five older siblings. She was 5'3 and about 110 pounds with long, wavy hair. And even though she was only 14, she looked a few years older. They, She looked about 17 or 18. Right. Because isn't this um, a picture of her right here? Yep, Jane Allen. Right yeah, there. and she definitely does not look like, you know, a 14-year-old. She can definitely pass as 17. A and, lot older. Yeah, she can. I see it. So she was planning to spend the day at her boyfriend's new home, which was in Auburn Heights. Mm-hmm. Auburn Heights is now Auburn Hills. I was going to ask, like, is that Auburn Hills now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's crazy how, like, these old cases and stuff like that, and they're like, yeah, we just changed the name. and stuff. Changed the name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the house, the, his new home at Auburn Heights was about 20 miles from hers. Okay. So she wrote down the, the directions to get to his house and went on about her day. So she made it to his house successfully, spent the whole day with him. Mm-hmm. And then when it was time to go, his mom offered her a ride. She was like, no, I'll just walk. Right. So. Which is something like you do this often, too, where people are like, I'll give you a ride. Yeah, I got this. So she just went on, and she was last seen on University and I ninety I seventy five trying to catch a ride home, and she was believed to have been picked up about four thirty, and apparently not by a not so nice person. Right. Jill's father reported her missing to the Royal Oak Police on Sunday morning, but because Jill was a known runaway, like she was constantly running away a mm-hmm. lot, they didn't take it seriously. They're like, "Oh, she's a runaway. Yeah, she'll, she'll be back. back." Yeah. But, but, I mean, at 14, though, like, I mean, she looks 17, but you got to still take this serious, though. At 14, t- you should take it seriously, even if she is a runaway. And yeah, still, you need to still go out and do something, at least. Yeah. Like, so many, you imagine how many cases have even caught, like, you know, you, if you just take time out and just send a couple of officers couple. to browse the neighborhood or something like that. Just don't write everything off as, you know, it's a runaway. They'll or be situ- back. Yeah, they'll be back. Yep. But... They did end up putting up her information eventually, but by the time it was put out to the world, it was too late. Yeah. Jane was murdered by carbon carbon monoxide poisoning. She was found floating in a river in Miamisburg, Ohio on August 11th. Yeah, she traveled. Yep, they took her far. Yeah. So Kimberly Alice King was a 12-year-old girl who spent the night... Of September 15th, 1979, at her friend's house who lived across the street from her grandparents in Warren. Mm-hmm. At 11 p.m., she called her sister from a payphone telling her that she had snuck out of her friend's house. And, yeah, basically just told her, her sister that she had <laughs> snuck out. Her sister told her to go back, but Kimberly, Kimberly never returned to her friend's house, never went to her grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. 
and she was never heard from again. Wow. Her case was originally classified as a possible runaway, but she had never run away before. Right. David so that's Newberg. That's definitely strange, too. Yeah. David Newberg was considered a suspect in his case. He worked in Warren around the same time as Kimberly's disappearance mm-hmm. and lived only two streets away from her house. He was killed in a car accident in Wyoming in 1981, but I'll talk about him in the next episode when I get into the investigation and the suspects. Okay. During the investigation for the child killer, mainly in Timothy Green's case, there was a lot there was constant mention of the blue gremlin with the white hockey stripe. Right. If, even now if you google the case, the car will pop up somewhere right. in the searches. Like, you're going to see that car if you're mm-hmm. looking. Like, that was, like, a big thing for the case. Yeah. Which I can see why, because at this point, we don't know. You literally had nothing. Just bodies were popping up. And, like, the just first thing that we get, we're, we're going to zero yeah, in on a, this. It makes sense because that's all they had. So that's yeah. what they were going to run with. Mm-hmm. But... but then at the same time, I kind of get suspect when, like, not suspect, but, like, a little iffy when police kind of put, like, all their eggs in one basket like that, though, because it's, yeah. like... You really don't know, so you got to also, like, I get, like, this is probably the first lead you guys had, but keep the options keep open options as open, well. Which as, they did not. Okay. <laughs> and of course. Yeah. Like, that, the, the blue gremlin will pop up when you Google search the case, but it had absolutely nothing to do with the child killer. Wow. Yep. So, the witness, a witness stated that she saw Tim talking to a man standing next to the blue gremlin. They were standing near, but the car did not belong to the abductor. It came out later that the car belonged to a lady who was just nearby in the nearby apartments. She couldn't come out right away and say that was her car because she wasn't even supposed to be at those apartments. Oh. Yeah. She was having an affair with someone else who was also married living in those apartments. Oh. And that's who she was at the time. Yeah, so we had to... She couldn't come out right away and say right. that. Right. But although, I mean, in the same sense, you got to put your own personal stuff to the Her side. These like are chi- uh, children coming up missing. Like, and she was just you, watching the news as they're looking. They're looking at her car. Yeah. Yeah. No. If you if you got, I understand you got you, you want to do your dirt in peace. Go for it. You don't want to get caught. But when this starts involving, like, you know, you can. Children. Yeah. And just in general, like, you have information on a case where it's like, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You need to say something. Like, say something. We can just, and they don't, I'm pretty sure you can, like, be like, hey, don't say, like, the reason why I didn't, that you know, that the, it was my car and ABCD. Like, you could just say, okay, the police can pretty much say, like, okay, yeah, that was a dead end. You don't, don't, don't hold that kind of information in, please. Like, right. it's not, no, it's not okay. But what was crazy Tim's brother told him, like, I don't, told the police, I don't think this car has anything to do with the case. Wow. But because that was all they had, that's what they used. Because mm-hmm. when he went to search for Tim on his own, the same car that was there at 7.30, 8.30, whatever time Tim, they, Tim was seen, mm-hmm. it was still there at 11. But if he was taken right then, the car shouldn't have still been there at 11. Yeah, they would have taken the, the car. They would have took the car with them, though, because... um. <laughs> Why would you leave a car there? And then especially if you notice people seeing you, like, you know, this is now this is officially a crime scene. And, yeah, I don't see the person just leaving their car there. Right. Yeah. But so he let them know, like, I don't think this car had anything to do with it. But because that's all they had, that's what they used. Wait a minute. How long was old girl uh, getting a thing <laughs> on with the guy? Because that's a pretty long <laughs> affair. <laughs> Where were their significant others? Like, yeah, I'm just going to be out. From Were they working overtime this whole time? Seven Eleven. Okay, right. Well, that's not. Yeah, that. that I, I don't know. That do just the case, but it still, don't. But that's something to think about. <laughs> the car they should have been looking for was a nineteen seventy three Pontiac Le Mans. It was a two door mm-hmm. coupe, and either blue or green. You know what? I feel like I've actually heard that before. Like you know, that car sounds familiar. Like that I've heard it with the ki- yeah. I've heard that heard that car before being yeah. mentioned. One witness, Doug Wilson, said he saw it parked in some supermarket parking lot that Tim was in on the night of March 16th. Right. He went to do his grocery shopping, 
He saw the kid on the skateboard. He was like, let me not park next to the kid on the skateboard because he's not going to scratch on my car. <laughs> but he also saw the Lamas. So they also, someone else also reported that they saw a blue Pontiac Lamas parked on, parked on the side of the freeway of I-75 in Troy a few hours before Jill Robinson's body was discovered. Wow. Like, he's, like, waiting. Like, it's, like, just waiting for traffic. Kids. Yeah. He was waiting for traffic to slow down so he could dump her body. Wow. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, that's crazy. Or even because she was the one who was shot, so maybe he was just waiting for it to die down mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's literally so he could do what he out in the do. open like that. He did it right there out in the open. Oh, there were quite a few suspects in the Oakland County child killings. Investigators work on the case. Working on the case, put together a profile of the killer based on the witness's description of the man seen talking to Timothy. Mm-hmm. And like the car, that was all they had to go by. He was a white male with a dark complexion, about 25 to 35 years old, mm-hmm. with shaggy hair and sideburns. Right. That's all they had at the time. They believe he had a job that gave him the freedom of movement and may have appeared to be someone kids could trust maybe yeah like, i mean like a police officer honestly because police officers yeah. patrol communities and kids respect police officers so you would like you wouldn't like if a police officer was talking to you you really wouldn't feel like dangerous or uncomfortable about want, it. Yeah, yeah uncomfortable about it or like just someone with authority like even a firefighter or like because you're expecting that these people take care of you just looking trusting so maybe he to the kid he looked like a teacher, maybe, or yeah. someone, a friendly neighbor, anything. Right. No, I definitely can see that. Yeah. But he was also believed to be familiar with the area and have ability to keep children for long periods, live somewhere where he could keep the children long periods of time. Right. Without the neighbors being suspicious. Mm-hmm. Or even getting the kids in the house. Yeah, without anybody seeing it. Because every block has a nosy old, uh, you know, nosy, nosy lady. Neighbor. And that who her blinds stay with a little bent, like bent in between right there because she's like looking out the window constantly. Sure, my blinds look like that because I constantly look out. I'm paranoid. <laughs> you know, what? I just, I'm talking trash only because I just recently got new blinds. So my blinds officially haven't been broken into yet. So I can comfortably talk trash for a little bit. <laughs> but it's coming. I seem like a little baby dent now. And I was like, oh boy, you got to at least switch what blind you're pulling down. I look at him like, oh no, I got to, I got to lift that back up. <laughs> I had a little dent and I just push it back uh-huh. up. <laughs> but that's all i'm going to talk about the investigation today and for my next show i'll get more into my next episode i'll get more into talking about all of the actual suspects wow are you literally just gonna leave a cliffhanger like that like i have all these notes here still left and i'm just like okay so when are we going to get to this part looking at my outline and and we're not even gonna go over that it's kind of misleading Like, you know what? I used to be, I'm known for like a good cliffhanger every now and then, but you don't like when a cliffhanger is done on you. No. It's not really nice. <laughs> it's never. It's not really fair, Leah. Well, you go over the notes. Don't go over the notes because you got to be surprised. Yes. Yeah, so like, and that's the messed up part too. But I am going to go over at least the, the ones we did talk over to keep it fresh in my head. And you guys can definitely like listen to the episode again before um, listening to the second part of the Oakland Child well, Oakland County child killer. Sorry. I always want to just go straight for Oakland County. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds natural. But no, that it's really crazy because even then, I don't know, like when you were talking about like the possible suspects, I was thinking like these seem a little older than what it seemed yeah. like, you know, this killer was targeting because it was like 10 to like 12 where like, you know, he kind of stayed around that age range, 10 through 12. And these other ones, 14, 16, it, yeah, I don't know, it just, it just kind of got, older. yeah, it got diff- older and then like the attacks seemed different. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't the same suffocation and things like that. So no, that was definitely interesting mm-hmm. and I'm really annoyed, but that I got to wait, but I'm ready to hear like, you know, the suspects about this though, because around this time I can see a lot of people with like the long shaggy hair and stuff so it's like how do you narrow down a search like this like this is that's crazy but like I said I'll go more into those details in the next episode thank you for listening to Crime in the Men you can find the transcript pictures we've discussed 
and the links to all of our references on our website at www.crimeinthemitten.com. There you can also find the links to our social media. If you have a case you'd like us to discuss, go to the go to the contact us page of the website and leave a suggestion. Each month we'll choose one of one suggestion for an episode.